Greetings, and thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the podcast series, Early Action in Hepatocellular Carcinoma. This episode is titled, The Changing Epidemiology of Liver Cancer. Our learning objectives for this podcast are, 1. Describe the prevalence and mortality rates associated with liver cancer, and 2. Decrease disparities in referral patterns by improving adherence to recommended guidelines. Today, you will be listening to Dr. Ghassan Abu Alpha, Professor of Medical Oncology at the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York, as well as Dr. Amit Singhal, Medical Director of the Liver Tumor Program, Clinical Chief of Hepatology, and Professor in the Department of Internal Medicine at the UT Southwestern Medical Center in Texas. And now, here's your host, Dr. Abu Alpha. Hello, and thank you again for joining us today. This is Ghassan Abu Alpha, medical oncologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. You can find my and Dr. Amit Singhal's disclosure on the activity page. In this podcast, Amit and I will discuss prevalence and mortality rates of liver cancer, including patient demographic data, Guideline recommendations for primary care providers, PCPs, involvement in patient screening and referral. Disparities impacting this patient population, including differences in survival and referral patterns. So let's get started. We all know that liver cancer, which could have cell carcinoma or HCC, and intrahepatic bile duct cancer or cholangiocarcinoma is relatively uncommon compared to other cancers. At the moment, there's close to about 40,000 plus new cases of liver and intrahepatic bile duct cancer in 2021 in the United States. So, Amit, can you please tell us why we need to start paying more attention to this uncommon cancer? Yeah, thanks, Kassan. Uh, thanks for the question. Um, hello to our listeners. Um, you know, just in brief, I'm a transplant hepatologist at UT Southwestern Medical Center and serve as the medical director of our liver tumor program. Um, as you mentioned, you know, although HEC and cholangiocarcinoma are thought to be rare, liver cancer is the third leading cause of cancer-related death worldwide, and its incidence overall is increasing over time. The highest burden of liver cancer is in East Asia and in Africa, and that's due to high rates of endemic hepatitis B in those areas. Um, it has an intermediate incidence and mortality in the Western world, including the U.S. and Europe, currently being the sixth leading cause of cancer death here in the U.S. Um, although age-adjusted incidence rates for HCC have plateaued, the incidence of cholangiocarcinoma continues to increase. Further, the mortality rate for liver cancer as a whole has steadily risen um, in the U.S. over the last 15 years. In fact, data from the SEER program show that liver cancer has one of the fastest increasing mortality among solid tumors, and if these current trends continue, it's actually projected to become the third leading cause of cancer death here in the U.S. by 2040. Whoa, I mean, uh, this is scary. If anything, uh, to really understand and sadly sometimes even underappreciate a relatively uncommon cancer and see what's impact being in the United States or even globally is very important to really be aware of, especially as you brought in the risk factors that are involved in regard to that disease. I mean, uh, as such, I understand that also HCC account to more than 80% of the prime liver cancer cases. So can you please explain what's causing this increase in HCC in the United States and why are we seeing still this high mortality? 
Yeah, Gasson. So, you know, HCC is typically a complication of chronic liver disease. In fact, over 90% of cases develop in the setting of cirrhosis. That is fibrosis that develops due to chronic hepatitis for one of several possible etiologies. When we think of this historically, the most common causes of cirrhosis and HCC were viral hepatitis, including chronic hepatitis B or chronic hepatitis C, but we're actually seeing less and less viral-related HCC given a higher penetrance of antiviral treatment and hepatitis B vaccination programs when we think of a global perspective. Both of these have been shown to decrease HCC risk. Unfortunately, in parallel, we're seeing more and more cirrhosis and HCC related to alcohol or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, also called NAFLD for short. So NAFLD is essentially the hepatic manifestation of the metabolic syndrome. And this is rising in parallel with a higher prevalence of both obesity and diabetes. We've seen dramatic increases in NAFLD-related HCC, so this now accounts for up to one-third of HCC in some regions. While we believe controlling diabetes and obesity in these patients may reduce HCC risk, we actually don't have robust data yet showing that this is the case. And we unfortunately don't otherwise have effective chemoprevention agents, so these patients remain at high risk with an annual incidence between 1.5 to 3% per year. So outside of incidence, the high mortality rate for HCC is related to a high proportion of patients being found at late stages. Although we have curative surgical options for early stage HCC and we can achieve five-year survival of 60% plus, the median survival for patients with more advanced stage tumors is unfortunately only one to two years. And most patients are diagnosed with advanced or unresectable HCC at first detection with limited therapeutic options and poor prognosis. In fact, the five-year survival for patients with um, liver cancer, um, if they're found at distant sites, is only um, somewhere between two and 3%. Wow. It's incredible that uh, the advent of those new risk factors that you just brought them up, especially in regard to the non-viral, which as you and I know, affects quite a bit of people, will definitely have an important impact, as we just said, in regard to the incidence, and of course, add to the mortality. And of course, if anything, the discussion of early diagnosis can be very critical to try to hopefully impact the mortality. So, Amit, can you speak a bit about the disparities that we are seeing in patients with HCC, and what can we do to help improve outcomes? Yeah, Gassan, you know, you already mentioned the importance of early detection, and this actually aligns with the disparities that we see. The biggest disparity we see in HCC prognosis is between patients who are found by screening and those who are found outside of screening programs. So guidelines from the American Association for the Study of Liver Diseases, or AASLD for short, recommend screening using abdominal ultrasound with or without a serum biomarker called alpha-fetoprotein and this should be performed semi-annually in all patients with cirrhosis and subgroups of patients with hepatitis B who are high risk for HCC. As I mentioned, these high-risk groups actually have a risk of HCC somewhere between 1% to 3% per year. And this is cumulative over time. So that means that patients who have um, underlying cirrhosis or chronic hepatitis B for years are even at higher risk as they have this for longer. 
There's actually a similar recommendation provided by the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, um, or the NCCN. Um, and in these guidelines, screening is considered cost-effective in patients with cirrhosis of any cause and patients with chronic hepatitis B in the absence of cirrhosis. And similar to the AASLD guidelines, the recommended imaging method is abdominal ultrasound with or without AFP, and the recommended interval also is every six months. When you take a look at these recommendations, they're actually based on several um, uh, studies. The best data that we have supporting screening is a large randomized control trial that was conducted among hepatitis B patients about 15 years ago. And this randomized trial showed significantly improved early detection and reduced HEC-related mortality from HEC screening. Now, we unfortunately don't have a similar randomized trial in patients with cirrhosis, but we do have several cohort studies which have shown similar improvements in early detection, curative treatment receipt, and overall survival. In fact, when a randomized trial was attempted in the past, it had to be closed early because patients refused to take the risk of potentially being randomized to the no screening arm after undergoing informed consent. Overall, the recommendation for screening in patients with cirrhosis is based on a moderate level of evidence, but a strong strength of recommendation based on expert interpretation of available data. Given the lack of randomized data, the screening recommendation for HCC has unfortunately not been adopted by the USPSTF at this time. When we take a look at clinical practice, HCC screening unfortunately remains underused in clinical practice. And this is related to many factors, including lack of awareness, access disparities, um, and stopping screening in some patients. Um, in fact, we have shown that less than 30% of at-risk patients who present with HCC um, have undergone screening within one year prior to diagnosis, so really much lower than what we would like to see. And we see notable disparities in referral patterns and receipt of screening, with lower screening receipt among Blacks and Hispanics compared to non-Hispanic whites. These disparities in HEC screening are noteworthy because HEC disproportionately impacts these very same groups, these racial ethnic minorities, including Asians, Blacks, Hispanics, and Native Americans, as well as um, people of low socioeconomic status. And we're talking both higher incidence and mortality rates in these groups. In a systematic review of studies looking at disparities in prognosis, we recently found that African-Americans had significantly worse survival compared to whites, where Hispanics appeared to have similar survival. And this difference was largely attributed to differences in tumor stage at diagnosis with lower early stage detection among blacks versus whites. In addition to underuse of screening, there are studies that show underuse of HCC treatment, including underuse of curative treatments for patients who are found at early stages. And similar to HCC screening, we unfortunately see these disparities in referral patterns after a diagnosis of HCC with lower treatment rates among racial ethnic minorities and low socioeconomic status individuals. So as you can see, unfortunately, lots of disparities both from you know, detection um, in, in screening programs, as well as racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic disparities across the entire cancer care continuum. So, I mean, you bring in a very important perspective, what I think you're suggesting as well, but uh, an important player in, the, in all of that effort is our primary care provider colleagues. What can primary care providers do to help improve these death rates and this high mortality, and of course, reduce this disparity you just spoke about. 
Yeah, it's a good question, Gasan. So, I mean, we know that disparities are likely multifactorial um, and often can be quite complex to sort of tease apart everything that that actually is driving um, these disparate um, incidents and disparate prognosis that we see. Um, and as you know, accumulating research has shown that determinants of health outside of medical care, including income, wealth, education, all of these can also dramatically impact health outcomes. And so with that in mind, it's important to consider the potential intersectionality between race, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. In fact, a recent analysis we completed using SEER Medicare suggested that racial ethnic disparities are most notable among low socioeconomic status groups with racial ethnic differences mitigated in those of higher socioeconomic status. So at its outset, disparities can be addressed through prevention and early detection, with primary care providers playing a very key role in both of these. So as I mentioned earlier on, vaccination against hepatitis B, screening and treatment for hepatitis C, maintaining a healthy body weight, all of these can decrease the risk of liver cirrhosis and thereby reduce the incidence of HCC. In fact, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force now recommends at least one-time hepatitis C screening for all adults um, in the U.S., not just baby boomers, where that recommendation started. And this is important because treatment for hepatitis C has been shown to reduce HCC risk by over 75% in patients with cirrhosis and can essentially offer near 100% protection if patients are treated prior to the onset of cirrhosis. And hepatitis C screening has dramatically evolved over time, and we can now see a cure in over 95% of people with only 12 weeks of well-tolerated oral medications. So some primary care providers have actually integrated hepatitis C screening and treatment programs in their practice, although this isn't universal, likely relating to several factors, including time availability, level of interest, and potentially comfort with managing patients with liver disease. As in other cancers, early identification is also key to treatment eligibility and overall survival. As we've already discussed extensively, the differences in survival are dramatic if somebody's found early, median survival five to 10 years, versus if they're found at later stages with a median survival of one to two years. Unfortunately, cirrhosis can be subtle. So only one in three people know they have it because patients often feel asymptomatic until the disease can be quite severely progressed. So it's critical for primary care providers to recommend the most common causes of cirrhosis, including viral hepatitis, alcohol-related liver disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and one must always assess for the presence of cirrhosis in these patients. Once cirrhosis has developed, patients have an annual risk of HEC that's quite high, one to 3%, and these patients should undergo HEC screening as we've discussed. In contrast, patients without cirrhosis have a low risk of HEC and don't warrant HEC screening since it's not cost-effective. So by conducting proper screening for both cirrhosis as well as HEC in appropriate patients, PCPs can identify patients with possible liver cancer who should then be referred for diagnostic evaluation and treatment as needed. Thanks, Amit. Uh, I know you mentioned several examples, but uh, tell us more. What do you mean by proper screening? So, you know, I think, Kassan, um, as I briefly mentioned, the first step is really to monitor for HCC risk factors, in particular cirrhosis or the presence of chron chronic hepatitis B infection. In the U.S., we know that over 80% of HCC cases actually happen in the setting of cirrhosis. Um, and so this is probably the most important thing to assess for. 
And as I mentioned, identification of cirrhosis can be difficult. And we probably don't have time during this podcast to go through it in detail. In fact, this can probably be an entire podcast by itself. However, in brief, the nice thing is that we're no longer dependent on biopsy to stage the degree of fibrosis. And we now have several non-invasive means of assessing fibrosis, such as transient elastography, or even serum biomarkers of fibrosis that can be used to assess and identify patients with cirrhosis. Once you identify somebody with, with having cirrhosis, it's important to enroll them in an HEC screening program, since this significantly increases the chance that HEC would be found at an early stage and amenable to curative therapy. Screening is often accomplished with ultrasound, um, with or without that, uh, that blood-based biomarker that I mentioned, alpha-fetoprotein, and this can find over 60% of HEC at an early stage when curative options are available. Both the AASLD as well as the NCCN recommend that ultrasound with or without AFP be performed every six months given the very high risk of developing HCC. And those patients with abnormal results, whether that's a liver lesion greater than a centimeter on their ultrasound or an elevated AFP greater than 20 nanograms per milliliter, those patients should be referred for diagnostic imaging with a multi-phase CT or contrast MRI uh, to confirm the diagnosis. And then based on the results of that cross-sectional imaging, those patients can then be referred for multidisciplinary evaluation um, for HEC treatment options as needed. Overall, many patients with chronic liver disease, including cirrhosis in the U.S., are followed by primary care providers, particularly as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is expected to affect nearly one in three Americans. Therefore, primary care providers at are, are at a critical junction where they can monitor patients with risk factors for HCC, assess for the presence of cirrhosis, help enroll them in HCC screening programs, and finally refer these patients to specialty care as needed. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, you make me remember one of our patients who was, you know, very adamant and very good at doing the screening and ended up with a very early tumor diagnosis. And here I give a lot of credit for the primary care physician because was keen on reminding the patient of the screening time because as you can imagine, people can forget when and how and what. And ended up with a totally resectable tumor that never occurred and it's like totally behind his back. And that's really something that will remind us again of the importance of what you just provided us with as information. So again, thank you, Amit, for sharing all of this. And I can see an improved future for our patient with HCC if we can start detecting it earlier in more patients. I want to thank our audience for listening. If you are interested in learning more about this topic, please tune in to the other two podcasts in this series on primat.com. And have a great rest of the day. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description, where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit.